0: Some of you may have heard me talk a little bit about uh, a guy I knew in our church in Savannah named Arnie. And Arnie was an interesting character. Most of the time that uh, I was in the, the church there, Arnie was in jail. And each Sunday or each week, I would take my sermon manuscript and print out. And then on the back, I would write him a little note and mail it to him. I wanted to make sure he knew that we hadn't forgotten him, that someone was praying for him to try to give him some encouragement. And Arnie would write me back letters, and they were on, you know, legal paper that you get in prison, and and they would run three or four pages, handwritten, and it would sound as if the Apostle Paul was writing to me. I mean, it would be greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace be upon you and the church at islands. And, and it would go on and on like that. And he would talk about how God was at work in his life. And he would talk about how God was changing him and helping him overcome the addiction that, that really caused the imprisonment. And all these things about his relationship with God. And it would really feel like this guy had changed. That something was different about Arnie. And then he would get out of jail and he would show up at church for about two Sundays and he would disappear. And then he would disappear from his home with his mother where he lived. And then before long, I would find out that Arnie had gone back into the culture of drugs and addiction that caused all of his problems. And once again, he'd be back in jail. And I'd be printing out my sermons and sending them to him. And before long, all the letters from Arnie, the ones that sounded like the Apostle Paul, would start rolling into me every week. And, you know, of course, over time, I became skeptical. Skeptical of whether he was really changing because he just got back in the same habits every time he got out of jail. And I think there are times when not just with him but with lots of people when they begin to talk about how much they've changed I get a little skeptical and that's not really positive is it because we as Christians want to believe that people can change and yet we struggle with this fact because we've seen people and we know how they are and we know we've seen people sort of develop a change in their lives and then suddenly they're back in the old habits that got them in trouble and really it seems as if nothing changed at all so we get skeptical and I think there's even some some of the cause of our skepticism is in the fact that we find it difficult to change don't we I mean there's something in our lives that we need to eliminate some behavior that we know is not healthy for us physically or emotionally or spiritually. There's something there that we've got to get rid of. Or there's a new habit that we need to create, something that will make us healthier physically, spiritually, or emotionally. And, and we get into that, and we, we eliminate what's bad or start what's good, and it goes on for a while, and then it sort of drifts away. And what do we do? We end up in those old habits and old ways of life. And we don't change very well we know what a struggle it is to change so the question comes can we change can we really change as individuals sometimes we're skeptical of that we're not sure it is possible but we're Christians we believe that Jesus has power to change so can we change And maybe the next question is, can we really help other people to change? I mean, there are people around us that we know really need to be different because they're in the middle of destructive behaviors that are causing problems for them and in their relationships and for their families. And we want to ask this question, is there anything I can do to help them to become the people that God wants them to be? Can I help anyone change to get at that? I want us to turn to Luke chapter 5 today. In Luke 5, we see Jesus beginning to assemble the 12 disciples, these 12 men who would be with him throughout his ministry and then would carry forward the work of the church when he was gone. And we see him calling the first of them right at the beginning of Luke chapter 5. Now, this is a sort of a familiar story. Jesus is teaching along the Sea of Galilee at the shore. There's a large crowd that's gathered. And, and he sees these men over here on the side. They've just brought their, their boats in from fishing all night. It's clear they haven't caught much. They're cleaning their gnats of all the stuff that you can't sell. That's really just garbage. And they're listening to Jesus. And Jesus says to one of those men, a guy named Simon, Why don't you put your boat out just a little way so I can see the whole crowd. Everyone will hear me better. Better sort of became an amphitheater right there on the side of the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus teaches the people. And once that's over, he turns to Simon and he says, Why don't you put out further and then put your nets down for a catch? Now, I can sort of hear what's going through Simon's head at that moment, Right? I am a professional fisherman. I have been doing this all of my life. My dad taught me to do this. You are a teacher. What do you know about fishing? I mean, can't you see our nets are empty? Don't, isn't it obvious this is not a good time for us to fish? And anybody worth their salt knows that you fish the Sea of Galilee at night. Not in the middle of the day, but yet, after voicing a little bit of that, Simon says, "We'll do as you wish." And you probably remember the story. They put out, they put the nets down, and, and Simon begins to have this catch of fish that's more than he ever imagined. It, it's beginning to sink the boat. He calls to his his friends who are also fishermen, probably working along with him, James and John, sons of Zebedee. They come out. They haul in this amazing catch of fish. It's obvious something powerful is going on. And then we get Peter's, Simon Peter, Luke tells us, we get his response to all this. We pick that up in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Wow, this is an amazing catch of fish. I'm not going to have to work for a week. Thanks. No. He says, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Now, that it seems an odd response, doesn't it? It just doesn't fit. How, why is his sin coming to mind here when we're talking about fish? Well, if we look back in the Old Testament, what we see is over and over again when people encounter God, one of the first reactions is to recognize their own sin. We see it at work in Isaiah, we see it at work in Jeremiah, other prophets exhibit the same thing. When you encounter God and His power and His holiness, the first thing that's obvious about yourself is just how different you are from God, especially your unholiness, your unrighteousness, your sin. It all becomes evident very quickly and the thing you want to do is run from that holiness because you feel so bad about what you've done. Over and over we see that pattern. Peter has seen something in Jesus at this moment that has convinced him that this is not man at work. This is God. And it's convicted him of his own sin. The people around him are amazed at what's going on as well. Jesus' response, second half of verse 10, Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. And then this odd turn of a phrase, from now on you will fish for people. I know you've been a professional fisherman. You've fished for fish your whole life. But everything's going to change. I want you to fish for people. We've talked a little bit about calling in this series, Living Jesus Creed. And how God can call us to do something different. In this passage we clearly see that call. And we see Peter's response to that call. And it's not just Peter. It seems to be Peter and Andrew his brother. And James and John sort of in this co-op of fishermen. Verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore. Left everything. And followed him. You see that? It doesn't say they went and ate a meal with Jesus and they went back and fished that night. It doesn't say Jesus had a powerful impact on them and they continued on doing what they were doing and sort of served God more. It says they pulled their boats on shore, valuable stuff, You got into being a fisherman through family because it was expensive to get into that business and it made a good income for the ancient world they pulled their boats in they left their nets and all their gear and they followed Jesus right then it's a powerful impact at that moment from being with Jesus and then as you look down see another story begins in verse 27. We're introduced to this man. His name is Levi. We also know him as Matthew. He's a tax collector. He's sitting in his tax collecting booth. He is doing his job. And we've talked about tax collectors. You know, they're hated. They're Roman sympathizers. They're taxing their own people and usually overcharging their own people to make a little bit more money. His life is all about money. It's not about relationships because nobody likes him. It's not about religion because everybody condemns him. It's about money. And he's in the middle of making his money, and Jesus comes along to Levi and he says, Follow me. And what did he do? The language is almost exactly the same as that of Simon and his friends. He got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. That means he's leaving his job behind. The Roman authorities are not going to give him this job back. That's over. He left everything and followed Jesus. There's a transformation here. He's leaving behind this life that had separated him from people, separated him from God, because he sees something powerful in Jesus. And then what did Levi do? He did what everybody who encounters Jesus should do. He threw a party. He threw a party for his friends and said, everybody, I want you to come to my house and we're going to eat and we're going to sit down and we're going to listen to this guy who has changed my life. His name is Jesus. And Jesus went and he sat among those tax collectors who had no other friends because they're tax collectors. And he talked to them and he taught them. And the religious leaders came along And they saw Jesus talking to these people who were unacceptable, who had been rejected from society. And they said, who is this that that eats and drinks with tax collectors? And he calls himself a, a religious teacher, a religious man. Jesus' response in verse 31, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick i have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance you guys understand righteousness you get obeying the, the the law of Moses God's commands you understand all that and that's awesome but Jesus is saying I have come for these people who have messed their lives up just trying to be rich who have given everything for wealth I've come because they need me they need to be changed. And in this series, Living the Jesus Creed, we're talking about loving God and being changed by the power of Jesus is at the heart of this and loving others and sharing the transforming power of Jesus with those around us is at the heart of that. We can change. Jesus radically changed the lives of these men in this story. And we see that pattern repeated over and over throughout his ministry. He came for people who needed to be transformed. And that points to the lesson from this passage. Jesus transforms lives. It's simple. Jesus really can bring change. As much as we might be skeptical because we've failed to change sometimes, and as much as we might be skeptical because we've seen other people fail to change, the truth is Jesus really can change us. He changed those people. And you might say, well, Jesus isn't here in the same way today. We don't have access to Jesus' teaching and Jesus' miracles like Peter, and Andrew, and James, and John, and Levi, and the rest of these people who became great leaders in the church. And that's exactly what happened. These men did leave everything, and they learned from Jesus, and then they are the core of the early church leadership. You might say, we don't have Jesus in the same way. But the truth is, the Gospel of John, Jesus says, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says that he's going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And it is God's Spirit that continues to be at work in us today. God's Spirit can continue to change lives just like these lives were changed in this day. And so maybe you've got a story of the way God has been at work in your life and helped you overcome something that you did not believe you could overcome. Or maybe you've seen God's Spirit at work in the way God heals relationships and heals people. Andy Stanley, a minister in in Atlanta, tells a story of a guy named Joe. He first noticed Joe in a Starbucks. Andy had gone in to get his coffee for the morning, and he saw this guy over in the corner, headphones on, scowl on his face. Everything about him said, don't bother me. And so Andy didn't. He went and got his coffee, ordered it, and was waiting for it to come. And, and Joe got up and walked right over to Andy and said, are you Andy? And Andy said, you know, at the moment I wasn't sure if I should be, but I admitted that I was. And Joe said, somebody gave me some of your CDs, some of your sermons. And he said, you know what, I don't really at this point in my life have much use for God or the Bible or any of that stuff you're talking about. he continued to tell his story of his first marriage. His wife had been abused as a child, and that sort of came out 30 years into the marriage. and, And they couldn't deal with it, and the marriage sort of collapsed and ended in divorce. Two years later, his wife died. He remarried. That marriage, too, ended in a bitter divorce. And at that point in Joe's life, he saw no evidence of God's existence at all and yet he wanted to talk and so Andy got his number and connected him as a larger church connected him with one of the pastors on their staff and and he didn't see Joe for a long time but he saw him again in that Starbucks and the first thing he noticed was that there was actually a smile on Joe's face and Joe got up to come over and talk to him and the next thing he noticed was that he was carrying a Bible he was having study And Joe began to, to talk and he said I've got some news for you. I'm going to get married. And Andy was sort of thinking, "Wow, well, is that good news or bad news, really? And he said, well, to who, to who? Who are you going to marry? And he said, Susan, my ex-wife. She was the power of God at work. Now, maybe God's not going to deal with some of the issues in your life exactly that way. Maybe he's not going to deal with the the, the issues of someone you know exactly like that. But you know what? I think we are more apt to underestimate what God can do than to overestimate what God will do. I think we need to get in the habit of asking God to do the big things because he can He changed the lives of these men that were around Jesus. I think we need to expect that God will do big things. As we look back on that, who is it in your life? Who needs transformation? Maybe it's you and maybe you look and you see some stuff that's got to change. You need God to be at work. Or maybe immediately what comes to mind is your child or your parent, your spouse who's not with you today here in this room, or, or maybe a friend or a coworker, Who needs to be changed by the power of God? There's somebody. You know, it would be easy to walk away from a message like this, and we hear this power of God, and, and we all say, Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. That's true. God can change lives. But it's easy to just sort of let that be and walk away from it and not really think too much more about it. But let me encourage you not to do that. Instead, think about whoever that is, that person in your life that needs transformation. And begin to talk to them about this. You see, that's what Levi did, right? When he was changed, he immediately knew that the thing he needed to do was go out and invite his friends to come and be with him. It was obvious. It was clear what to do. Because they needed to be transformed by the power of Jesus as well. So who is it in your life that needs that transformation? You say, I don't know what to say. You may not know what to say. The first thing we can do is pray, right? We want to say, well, the least we could do is pray. The truth is, it's not the least we could do because prayer is huge. That's the first step for God's power to be at work in someone's life so we can pray that God would be at work, that God would bring transformation And then we can ask God to to be at work in us so that his Holy Spirit would give us the words we need because God chooses to use us. We've talked about that at least once and maybe twice in the series already. That God could do things however he wants to, but he tends to use people like us to do his work. And that's true of transformation as well. God tends to use people like us that get involved in messy situations with people who have made some mistakes and blown it and got things messed up. And he uses us. Not that we can change their lives, but that we can introduce them to Jesus. Jesus transforms lives. Let's let him be at work in ours. So that ours will be changed and the lives around us will be changed as well. Let's pray together. God, give us the words. Give us the courage. Give us the opportunity to talk about how you change lives. Help us to be people who make a difference because your spirit is at work in us. And we pray it in Jesus' name.